0: Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. I hope that today you're wearing green and eating your lucky charms for breakfast because it is St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day. While it might not be at the end of the rainbow, our text today is certainly better than gold. So let's get into it. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17 says this, Better is a dry morsel with quietness. Then a house full of feasting with strife. A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. An evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Children's children are a crown of old are the crown of an old man, and the glory of his children is their father. Excellent speech is not becoming of a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. A present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. He who justifies the wicked and who condemns the just, both of them alike, are an abomination to the Lord. Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom, since he has no heart for it? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. He who loves transgression loves strife, and he who exalts the gate seeks destruction. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy." A merry heart does good does excuse me a merry heart does good like medicine but a broken spirit dries up the bones a wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the way of justice wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him Also to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is like a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Now I want to begin here this morning with verse 6. And what I want to encourage you to do is to think generationally. Think generationally. And this is what verse 6 says. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. See, I want to start off here and really talk and dive into that first part of the verse here. See, grandkids should be your crown, right? Children's children, that's your grandkid, are the crown of old men. But I want to point this out. It's only if they're in a godly home. See, there are many who have failed their own children in parenting, and then the irony is— is that they oftentimes have to take care of their grandchildren and their grandchildren instead of being a crown, instead of being a glory, instead of being this this wonderful— wonder. I mean, I don't want to say that they're not a blessing because it's not the child's fault here, but they end up becoming an unnecessary burden or at least taking care of them becomes an unnecessary burden that kind of makes a full circle to the original generation's failure because instead of going and parenting their children right, they don't get a second chance to parent their grandchildren. That's not the way we should look at it. It's that they are then saddled with having to go in instead of getting to be a grandparent later in life, they have to go into oftentimes be the parent in their grandchildren's life, and they don't get to have that relationship uh, of of the crown, of going and just going, wow, this is awesome, you know, I can go and sugar the grandkids up and leave them to their parents, you know, uh, whatever they might go and do. Uh, They don't get to sit back and just enjoy it in that way and watch the child grow because they have to go and insert themselves and end up going and being the parent. See, grandkids are a burden to your soul, Not only when that happens in that cycle, but also when you are certain that they are destined for hell without an incredible divine intervention. I'm not talking about the fact that everybody is born unsaved and in the sense of that we have a sin nature and that they're going to sin and that uh, and that they're going to be condemned to hell, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is when you know that they're living in an ungodly house, that they don't have a godly influence in their life, that they're not consistently hearing the word of God that makes them wise unto salvation, when they don't have the generation of, uh, of the lowest in the Eunice as Timothy did. That becomes a grief to you if you are a Christian and you realize that your grandchild is destined for hell or at best, a very difficult testimony. That's not a glory. That's not a crown. That's a weary. But on the other side, There is nothing sweeter than a grandchild walking in the light and following God. John said that it was his joy that his children walked in truth, and it's even more so to go and to see your grandchildren going and walking in the truth, to see that multiple generation following God. See, what you are building and investing into your child today, parents, is something that that you're (laughs) sowing— And you're going to be reaping and you're going to see the fruit of that labor. And so the question is, is, what are you building? What are you investing? What are you sowing into your children? Is it something that will span generations and give you joy and make you glory in what has happened? Or are you investing in worthless things? You know, it amazes me how many parents invest in absolutely worthless things. I mean, don't get me wrong here. I love extracurriculars. I love sports. I love those kinds of things. And you can use those things for God's glory, but there are some people who that is their life that their children would end up being the high school football star or the, 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 the lead cheerleader or the, the the whatever it might be or their, their child might be the popular kid. And so they want to go and invest in these things and make sure that they're at the parties, that they're going in and being invited to all where the cool kids are and everything like that. Well, let's pump the brakes here for just a minute. Are any of these things eternal? No, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with being a good athlete. There's nothing wrong with going and being a popular person. There's nothing wrong with a lot of these things. But when it's the priority, when you're investing in that instead of the character of your child, when you're investing in that instead of their own soul, when you're going and saying, look, I want you popular with your peers, which your peers, especially in high school, they're dumb. just going to point that out here. Anybody who wants the approval of high schoolers is dumb because they're dumb. Instead of wanting the approval of God, is missing the mark. You know, you ought not care what the peers of your child think about your child. You ought to think, what does God think about my child? Is he going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord? Is that what you hope that your child hears? I mean, I know the right answer is yes, but is that truly your greatest hope and desire? Or, or, Do you want your kid to be the cool kid? Now, look, they might end up being popular. I'm not saying God doesn't use popular people, but the thing is is that it doesn't matter what is the cost for living for Jesus. Or on the other side, what is the cost for being popular? Oftentimes, it's godliness. Look, invest the right things generationally so that you can have the crown of your grandkids so it's not that oh man my child had a uh, uh, my kid had a child out of wedlock and, and and then they went off and they had a midlife crisis not even a midlife crisis a mid twenties crisis and, and and they're in jail or they're doing this or they're doing that or they're running off with, with with this person and running off with that person and I'm stuck going and taking care of their child no invest in the character of your child so that you don't have those situations so that you can glory in your grandchild so that you can go and look and say look my grandchild wow they're walking in the admonition of the Lord. Man, that'll bring a greater smile to your face than your child winning the teen beauty pageant. I promise you that. The next thing I want us to see here is in verse 13, and it is treat others right. Treat others right. And it says this in verse 13, "Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Now notice I said, treat them right, not treat everybody nice but to treat them right. Give honor to whom honor is due, and give rebuke to whom rebuke is due. See, notice what it said. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. We can also say the other side of it. Whoever rewards good for evil, evil will not depart from his house, or good will not be there. Perhaps we could say that. You see, we look at this concept We look at this idea, you need to go and to mark who is evil and note who is good, and you need to reward the good and not reward the evil and not give evil to the good. Treat people justly according to what God says is right. In verse 15, to go right along with this, it said this, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them are alike. They're an abomination to the Lord. See God is clear it's an abomination to him to pe- to treat people in the wrong way to go and to treat good people or righteous people evilly or on the other side to treat evil people righteously to reward them and it is so easy in our culture today it's so popular in our culture today to go and to bring out the doctrine of nice and to go and to say look You should go and reward the evil. You should give them something that they do not deserve. You should go and reward the evil. And then it's easy, too, to not reward the good, but to give them the evil of ignorance or ignoring. Sorry, not ignorance, but ignoring them of just going and, and never going and recognizing the good things, the righteous things that they're doing for God. It's so easy because it's, it, it's uncomfortable to stand with those who are standing up for God. I get it. But you need to understand something here. God is telling you something. Evil will not depart from your house if you treat people in the wrong way. If you're going and rewarding evil people, God is going to send a curse to you. If you're going and, and you're treating good people with evil, God is going to send a curse to you. And you know, if it's one of those, well, duh, obvious things that we want the blessings of God, well, then it's also, on the other side, it's just as obvious, well, duh, we don't want the curses from God. So what you need to do is to find a just scale and to treat people the way that God would have you treat them. Give honor to whom honor is due, which also means you give rebuke to whom rebuke is due. You despise those whom it's worthy to despise the wicked. If you reward evil, you're bringing a curse upon your home. So don't reward evil. Condemn it and reward the good instead. And if you condemn the good, you're bringing a curse upon your home. Don't do it. Instead, condemn the evil. Let's take this to the children, right? We're supposed to be thinking generationally from the verse before that we looked at. Teach your children how to honor the righteous. That means that you make it a priority in your life to go and say, look, I'm going to find somebody who's righteous. And when I do find somebody, I'm going to honor that person. I'm going to make sure my kid knows that I'm honoring them. And I'm telling my child, look, it's right to honor that person. But also teach your children how to not look up to the wicked. You know, one of the biggest mistakes that people go and make with their children is that they look up to the wicked. What what do I mean they look up to the wicked? They go and they allow their children to idolize and make heroes out of evil celebrities, whether that's on the basketball court, whether that's on the football field, whether that's on the TV station, whether that's uh, at home on a movie, right? And they go and you let them put up posters in their, in their, their room and you go and you let them uh, go and obsess about these characters who are wicked and evil. Now, look, there are some good people out there. You should find them. And I'm not sitting here saying that, that, that we should condemn all of Hollywood or all of this kind of stuff. That's not what I'm getting at. But what I'm saying is is that you need to go and make sure that you're making a distinction. And when you find evil characters in a show or people who are acting evilly in life, you need to go and say, look, that person's wrong. That person's wicked, and you need to teach your child to condemn that behavior. It's so important. It's so important. Don't let them reward evil. Don't teach them to reward evil. Why? Because it's going to bring a curse in their house. You don't want that. You don't want your child cursed. The last thing I want to look at today is that your attitude matters. Your attitude matters. And in verse 22, it says this A merry heart, or I'm going to say a joyful heart because that's the way that I learned it. A joyful heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now, you probably heard the cliche, mind over matter. And while that isn't a particularly good phrase most of the time, there is a broad principle that's related to it, uh, and that is that your attitude matters. Your attitude does matter. See, I remember one of the first sermons that I preached out of the book of Philippians, and I was preaching on doing all things without complaining or grumbling or all things without disputing. And in one of the things that I used as an illustration to illustrate this, because it was right during the time when swine flu was all the rage, right? It was the it, it was the thing that we were all going to die of back then. But but it was that swine flu was the big thing. And I said, look, a, a bad attitude is more catchy than the swine flu. And that always got a chuckle out of people, right? Always got a chuckle out of people. Now, I, I haven't used that. This is the first time I've used it since 2020. It's been three years, uh, you know, since 2020. But I'm, I'm assuming it probably doesn't quite have the same Uh, appeal or shine to that. But I'm, but I think that you understand what I'm saying is that attitudes, both good attitudes and bad attitudes, they're catchy. They go and they rub off on other people. If you have somebody who comes into the workplace and they just have a sour prickly attitude because they woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day and they went and they slipped on a banana peel and they, 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 they cracked their rear end or whatever's going on here, you know, and their life is just falling apart. And they come in with that bad attitude. What happens? Well, pretty soon the person in the cubicle next to him, the office next to him, also has a bad attitude. But what happens if somebody enters in and they have a joyful heart? Well, well, all of a sudden you hear that joyful heart gets caught. People uh, can't can't help but start smiling and having a, a a good attitude. It's it's catchy. But there's another principle that I want you to notice. There's another principle that I want you to notice that is really important that also relates here to this idea of medicine in and attitude and that is a joyful heart is good medicine and a broken spirit a bad attitude it dries up the bones see while it isn't a good attitude, isn't the only medicine or discipline that you need to have a healthy life, it is an important one. It is an important one. You know, people age faster and die sooner when they are bitter. I don't know if you've noticed that. Bitter people die sooner. They age quicker. You look at them and you go, whoa, you look like you're 75 years old. And in reality, they were only 58. Well, what happened? They were bitter and they lived a bitter life. It literally dries up their health. See, but a joyful heart, it can make serious situations less impactful to your health by taking away stress, and it can bring a general better health to your life. So choose to have a joyful heart and live longer. Take the prescription of joy in your life. A joyful heart. Take that prescribe it every day for your life. Look at the bright side. Don't let your circumstances dictate your attitude, but rather overcome them by looking past your circumstances and looking to the author and finisher of your faith, Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for listening today, and remember Joshua 1, 8, and 9 as we depart. to the promise there's nothing we can't overcome so that war you've been fighting will end in god's timing sing like the battle